Hey everybody, and welcome back to our percentile vice. My name's Emily. I'll be your keeper tonight. I am joined by Steve and John. And tonight we are doing... <laughs> I had such a nice rhythm going, and then he ruined it. <laughs> tonight we are Turns doing... Turns out I suck at rhythm, by the way. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> tonight we are doing part two of uh, the homebrew one-shot called The Wrecked Temple. Erect temple? No. Wrecked. Wrecked. Like, get wrecked, bruh. Rectum. Rectum temple. Rectum That's... shit, it killed him. <laughs> There's a starfish. <laughs> He's brown. Last time, we met our characters in an airport. They spent some time getting to know their other passengers. They had won a all-expense trip paid to Morocco. Right. And they figured out that they had all entered this contest in different methods. They were all being flown via private jet. Upon boarding the private jet, we spent some more time learning about our different characters and meeting the two of you and getting to know you a little bit better. When you guys started to notice some incongruencies with the plane and the staff of the plane. Notably that this plane looked brand new and very high end, but so brand new that it had no supplies. No first aid kits, no parachutes, no rafts, nothing that you had been told or would expect to be on a very high-end plane. Um, Nathaniel, you noticed that, you know, pretty much everything was so brand new it had never even been opened or turned on or, you know, clicked on and off that um, while everything looked nice, it was all kind of middle of the road, not so nice stuff. And It was both satisfying for my fidgety nature of mm -hmm. opening and closing closets that had never been opened or closed before and hearing the click of the, for the first time and flipping every switch and opening yeah. every little drawer. But a little discouraging uh, to find out that there weren't even parachutes on this plane. Right. And you guys went through a hell of a lot of trouble to discover that there were not parachutes on the plane. And just before we ended last time... We had. I think we just got judged on the way on our role playing. You went through a lot of trouble to find out there. No, I just mean I didn't make it easy for you. You, you had to work yeah, for it. That's right. It's your fault. Yeah, it is my fault and my glory. So, <laughs> uh, right before we finished off last time, you noticed the pilot move to the back of the plane, use the restroom, come out, go into the stewardess quarters, and you felt severe depressurization of your plane. Due to some unfortunate dexterity removals, you two were thrown about the plane, but did manage to hear Leslie screaming about a whirlpool as your plane plunged for the water. And that's where we're going to pick up. So, the two of you... So we should get right into the roleplay? Right into it. Ah! <laughs> so the Sorry. two of you both need to make me a sanity check for the intense amount of fear... Of having seen the only staff on this plane parachute out or just jump out. Actually, you're not sure how they parachuted. And to know that you are now crashing straight for. I was 70 insanity. So it was particularly painful when I just failed it by rolling an 80. Ooh, okay. Well, if we traded, I would have passed, but I failed because I had a 66 against a 55. Mm. So you each take one point of sanity damage due to the extreme nature of what you guys are currently experiencing. So you guys are both being pressed against various areas of this plane. Uh, Nathaniel, you have been slung back to basically near the stewardess quarters, but 
kind of off to one side, kind of pressed into a corner. Uh, Bernard, you have kind of clung to a table, but you're in a very awkward position where you're half like on it and the table's like hitting you right in the midsection. You're just holding on for dear life. And you both can kind of take a moment to look out the window. And you do, in fact, see just dark blue coming straight for you at an alarming speed. But it's hard for you to gauge how far it is given how dark it is outside. But you can see the way the light of the moon is hitting the water, that it is moving very fast towards you. And as you continue to look, you see... Remembering my training, I'd like to like put my head between my legs, kiss my ass goodbye. Certainly. <laughs> and you succeed in kissing your ass goodbye. I'm going to reach in my suitcase and pull out my brown pants. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me my brown pants. Uh, you guys Shout can see... At the nose of the plane, that there is, in fact, a very large whirlpool in the water. So large that it's actually kind of crested up above the water line. And it's just funneling water down through it. And it's cycling at this massive speed. And it's hard to kind of get perspective. Being that it's, you know, outside and, and you're really not sure how close you are. But it looks like it could swallow a 747. Like, it is a massive whirlpool and you are nose diving straight into it the floor is yours boys ah! <laughs> so i'm at the very back of the plane correct and just inertia of motion is going to make it extremely difficult for me to try to get to the front of the plane correct yeah, um, I think I'm going to try to find a way to brace for impact. I'm picturing this little um, galley station back there, always cramped quarters in, mm -hmm. in planes. So, like, my back up against the cabinets at the, towards the rear of the plane, putting my feet up against the cabinets opposite those with my knees slightly bent and just trying to... So you're able to do kind of like what kids do in door frames and kind of just press yourself up against the two surfaces and kind of hold on tight. Your training tells you that you need to be secure, but you're also trying to relax to some degree because you also know that being too tense is what causes you the most damage to your body, but you are trying to keep yourself contained so you're not and That's why I've got my legs uh, slightly bent so There's my knees give. can act as a shock absorber. Perfect. What are you doing? Is there a refrigerator on this plane? There is. It's back by. <laughs> Grab a beer. Enjoy the <laughs> <Crack> ride. <one. laughs> I'm going to move back to the refrigerator. Okay. Going to the back of the plane should be really easy. Just let go of that <laughs> Just table. let go. <laughs> and I will take everything that I can out of it. Are the shelves removable? They are. They're just those little wire shelves. But this is not a full-size refrigerator. This is like a wine cooler it's, the, it's like the bottom half of a cabinet basically it's not a full-size refrigerator you would be able to maybe get yeah. to your what's your size for refrigerator boy yeah 80. yeah you you could maybe get a head and a sh one shoulder and as, as big as you are you're, you're not going to be able to get there is it affixed to the wall it is built into the cabinetry yes as fixed to the wall not necessarily but it does have built-in trimming to the cabinet it does not come out Yo, chill, dude. Chill, bro. It does not come out, period, or it doesn't look like it was intended to come out? It does not look like it's intended to come out. With enough force, you could remove it. I'm going to try to remove it. Okay, make me a strength roll. Jesus has got to be with a penalty dice. Oh, it's going to be an he's extreme because he is fighting a ton of gravity and G-force. <laughs> but it is an extreme success required.
So what's... If you'd only become an appliance repairman like your daddy so, wanted. 42 <laughs> minus 16. 36. No, 26. So what did you roll? 42? <laughs> so that would be... Uh, I was contemplating spending 20, luck. <laughs> 26. Nah, I'll take the regular success. So you 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 were trying to to pull this out, and you managed to get the door open, and the contents spilled out, which are now just like being slammed against the back counter. Um, but as far as the the millwork, you're not able to just against the g forces of the plane pull it from the wall. All right, I'll try to find a seatbelt. Okay. So you're going to try to make your way back up to the front of the plane? No, right there in the refrigerator. There's probably a you know, three-point harness in there. And... Uh, make me a luck roll for me. 30. 30. So Success. As you're trying to make your way to the front of the plane, you kind of grab a cabinet to give yourself some leverage to pull forward, and the cabinet comes swinging up, and you realize that the cabinet that is running along the bottom that holds all the pillow and blankets that you went and looked and you saw was a very large cabinet is probably, if you took the metal shelf out, big enough for you to crawl inside of. Then I'll try to do that. With all the cushions of the pillows and everything. It's brilliant. <laughs> Much more brilliant than a refrigerator. Okay. So, give me a spot hidden, both of you. Thirty-nine is, a, I think, a regular success. I have a regular success as well. Okay. So, as you guys are clinging into your spaces, you're able to kind of look out of various windows um, and the now blown open escape door, and you can see the imminent hit to this water. Neither one of you are really sure how this plane is going to react to this whirlpool, but you know that it's about to be very intense. Um, you hear screaming heighten at the front of the plane as the other passengers are also seeing this apex moment of the plane hitting the water. Um, and in a moment of strange, almost silence, where everybody kind of holds their breath and is waiting, you feel... The G-forces let off as the plane almost skips along one embankment of the top of the whirlpool and begins to circle like a drain down this whirlpool. And you guys are very well held on, but you can see in front of you cargo items, the other passengers who aren't strapped in, just being slid about this cabin. You can see that uh, poor Jasmine strikes her head against like the base of a table. Alfred is clinging to a chair, but his legs are wildly flinging and he eventually lets go and is slammed into the cockpit door. They are being thrashed about in the main cabin area as it's just circling tighter and tighter and tighter. And to the point where you guys begin to feel yourselves coming loose from your stations that you have so carefully concocted. And it feels like an eternity, just spinning this drain. To where even the screaming begins to kind of lessen because everybody is just kind of taken this moment of, there's no getting out of this. We're basically in a, a giant death machine plunging into the ocean. And then the spinning starts to slacken. You begin to feel it kind of widen out and slow down to the point where you're even able to kind of relax a bit and look out. 
And as you look out, you see that the water of the whirlpool begins to thin out and you're able to see kind of past it. And in certain areas, you're able to see kind of out into the ocean and you're able to see, you know, fish and the glimmers of moonlight coming through the water and the occasional rock formation or reef structure. And it, it's quite beautiful if it wasn't for it being entirely deadly. I would love this if I wasn't about to die. Right. <laughs> and then you begin to see solid rock all the way around you, 360. And it gets very, very dark. The only lights you're seeing are a few flashing lights from various warning systems within the plane, but the main power of the plane has gone out. And it is abruptly dark. Until you feel the plane with a, a rather large shutter come to a complete stop in pitch black darkness. Okay, so I'm at the back of the plane, which presumably is near the the door slash escape hatch or whatever that the pilot and the stewardess used to bail out. Mm -hmm. um, so I immediately look over there to see if water is rushing into this plane. Okay, so you look over. It is very dark, but you don't hear... The sound of water rushing in. You do hear water around you, but that sound of like vacuuming pressure of water rushing in is not present. There is some dampness to the cabin because you have been exposed to so much water. But as far as are you flooding? Currently, no. You don't seem to have any, you don't hear anything banging against the interior of the plane. It's just a very quiet, very dark cold space that the plane has been deposited. Right, so I'm going to stay there for a minute in wedge between the two sets of cabinets just for a couple of seconds to see if this plane's going to shift, settle, or, or anything. When I feel like it's not, then I'm going to get myself down. Is, is, the, is the plane sitting on its belly? Is it... it is, it's, and it's tilted to one of the wings so that the door that was the escape door is kind of tilted down. So while you're standing, you are teetered to one side, but you're able with minimal effort to keep yourself upright using walls and things to kind of find your way. But it is insanely dark. So if you try to make any movements forward out of your place of standing, you will need to make... Um, either a spot hidden at a very hard difficulty or you're going to need to make a dexterity to be able to respond to the things in front of you. Yeah, so I, I want to get down, get out from between these cabinets and start making my way to the front of the plane to see how badly people are injured right now. So. Okay, so you can decide if you want to try to use spot hidden or if you're going to try to use your dexterity to... Just deal with whatever comes in front of you. Uh, Bernard, what you doing? Since it's so dark, I'm going to whip out my cell phone and turn on the flashlight. I was thinking about that, but I got this old <clears throat> phone that I play Snake on. It doesn't even have, have a flashlight. I'm going to use Spot Hidden then. Okay, so it's still going to be a hard difficulty, but you can do it with a bonus die because of Bernard turning on his flashlight. It's not an entirely a, like a lot of light, but it does cast shadows and give you more per depth perception as to where you're going. All right, my first roll is just a plain old success. So bonus die makes it, you know, I was only two away from a hard success, but my bonus die is a two, which makes my roll a 24 under the hard 
requirement of 32, so I've made it. Thanks for the light there, dude. Great. You're welcome. So with the meager amount of light that his cell phone is, I mean, it, it's bright, but it's this all-encompassing dark that, you know, a standard phone flashlight just can't really do too much with. Um, you are able to see in front of you, you know, the door that's opened out, and it's too dark out there, but inside you're able to see forward. You can see the vague impressions of the chairs and the tables that you've been sitting at. You can see maybe about... 10 feet in front of you is um, a large body that has kind of like fallen to one side. And as best as you can tell, just given the stature, it's probably Alfred. Um, you can see that Leslie's head is still in his chair. Like he's still sitting there, um, still strapped in. He was the only one who was strapped in at that point. Um, but past that point towards the cockpit, you can't see enough to know. So I can't see either Evan or Jasmine. As of right this moment, no, you cannot. And so the first thing I want to do is go to Alfred and, uh, check him out. When I see him walking to check people out, I'm going to follow with, with my flashlight and try to assist. Certainly. So when you get to Alfred, you can see that he's mildly injured. Um, he's still breathing, he's still conscious, but he's an elderly gentleman who's just had quite a, a bit of throwing around and he's huffing and puffing and his hip is finished. Done. <laughs> um, he's got some blood rushing down the side of his face where he has smacked his head at some point in this, um, tumultuous landing. But, um, when he sees you approach, he kind of comes up onto one elbow and gives you the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. And begins to try to get himself up. He, he stumbles, but he you know, with a hand reached out to one of you, is able to get himself back upright and sat down in his chair. And he seems very winded, very shaky on his feet, but otherwise sound. And so, yeah, just, why don't you just lean up against the side here? Just, oh, you know, yeah. get yourself, very, get yourself very, together. Very Rest for a second. Uh, let's go check on the other. So, going to head towards the back of Leslie's head and come around the front of him, see how he's doing strapped in the seat. Certainly. So as you come around to see Leslie, um, you notice that as you're coming across, all the windows have busted out from either pressure or impact or, or something, but all the windows in this plane are now just empty husks with shattered bits of glass. Um, as you, and again, no water rushing in those. No water rushing in. You can hear the sounds of water, but no water is rushing in. Everything is very damp, though. Um, as you approach Leslie and you turn to look at him... Um, what you see is that at some point in all the spinning, some piece of paneling has come off and come through the window and has impacted Leslie square in the chest. So while his head is still at the seat, the rest of his body has slumped to the ground. And you're going to need to make a sanity check. Wouldn't we both? Yes. So he has been decapitated. Yes. And what you're seeing is his head that is still firmly mounted to the chair. And his name is Leslie. On this plane. Yes. Surely he didn't see that coming. Don't call, Don't me call Shirley. him Shirley. Shout out Leslie Nielsen airplane. Honestly, that was not an intentional uh, I thought it was. pun. It was not. I just, Sanity. I rolled random name generators and got names. <laughs> oh my oh. God. I just fumbled. You rolled a hundred. <laughs> what did you get over there? I got an 18 on a 54, so I'm good. Okay. So, um, oh. we'll get to you in just a moment. Okay. Because <laughs> you're going to need to remind me about the fumble rules of sanity. But, I'm, um, I'm not sure they apply to sanity. I don't know that they do I either. It's just, uh, but just, yeah. Skills. Um, so you are startled 
by this, but not damaged in any way. So what part of Bernard is is he drawing on? What what makes him so capable of dealing with this kind of gruesome scene? Well, he spent a lot of time in field work mm-hmm. in l- very lowly developed areas. So he is familiar with death and has seen it up close and he's going to take a second and as he learned in Central America, he's going to take two fingers and close Leslie's eyes. Okay. Yeah. So Bernard, you this is, you know, still upsetting as it should always be to see somebody who's been tragically cut down in their prime, but you've seen enough things that you aren't so shaken that you can't continue. Nathaniel, on the other hand, does not seem to be doing quite as well as you are. Big naughty. Big naughty. <laughs> so are, there's no fumble rules? Oh, there is. Okay. <laughs> Enlighten me, because I don't know rules. I just do stories. <laughs> fumble means something really bad has occurred. Something worse than a straight failure. And then they give, you know, they, they talk about, you know, if, if the role required is 50 or over, then 100 is a fumble. If the role, you know, mm-hmm. if your level is 50 or below, then 96 to 100 is a fumble. And then they give an example. An example that directly hits this Nice. <laughs> I love it when that happens. Here's the example. Brian encounters a ghoul. Making his sanity roll, he rolls 100. <laughs> a fumble. He automatically takes the maximum sanity point loss for seeing the goal. So it's max sanity for me. Okay. So your sanity loss is four points. Okay. Okay. So either I can tell you how you react, or if you would like to take uh, the time and describe to us how Nathaniel reacts, you can. It's your choice. Let's have you do it. So, upon rounding this corner and seeing this gentleman having been decapitated, Nathaniel automatically flashes back to the incident that has put him on his bench at work, where he gruesomely beat a man to within an inch of his life. He's thinking back to this man's head on the pavement, profusely bleeding, skull crushed, bones sticking out from shoulders and arms, and he begins to just break down. He begins to stumble away, reaching for a gun that's not on his holster, going into full panic mode, and begins thrashing about looking for anything, anything to grab hold to to steady himself as he just throws himself all the way back to the captain's quarters so hard that you're able to knock that door in and you fall into the captain's quarters chairs and scramble all the way back and just sit there. You have such a visceral response because you are literally weeks from having just nearly killed a man. That seeing somebody die in this fashion is so real for you that you can't, you have no ability to approach Leslie's body at this point. Okay. Yes. So, you've just witnessed Nathaniel have some sort of break and he has... Shuffled his way all the way back to... to just for, for mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. This was a the immediate reaction to the loss of sanity. Mm-hmm. I had, <clears throat> did not hit um, temporary insanity no. and um, 
I didn't lose five all at one time. So Correct. it wasn't like I had a whatever the hell the other word is. Um, indefinite. Yeah. I think you swapped around. Indefinite is like one fifth, right? And then temporary, temporary is, is five. five. Mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not in either of those no. situations. This was just my immediate reaction. Correct. Yeah. Um, and you're under no penalties by it. It's just, I think, canonically that right this moment you need a few minutes to settle down before you could move back towards the area of Leslie, Leslie being visible. But I'm not going to stop you from doing anything. I'm going to go grab a blanket out of the cabinet and just drape it over the body. Okay. Um, as you are draping the blanket over Leslie, trying to just make it a little less gruesome, you do see that on the other side of the table where Evan had been sitting, um, Evan is like crumpled down in the chairs. He had managed to kind of grab hold of some of the armature under the chairs and was holding on. And he has not gotten up yet, but he is there. You can see that he's alive. He is breathing. He is conscious, but he seems to just be clutched in fear to this base of this chair. I'm going to look for Jasmine. Okay. Um, so, You look around the cabin and you can see Evan clutching in fear. You can see Nathaniel in the cockpit. And as you continue to pan, you don't see Jasmine in the main body of the plane. You do notice, however, that the other door, the door that you guys entered the plane on, not the the rear door, the front door, is open. I'm going to poke my flashlight out and look out. Um, you see an, a, an intense amount of darkness, but from what you can see with your phone's flashlight, um, there seems to be like stone flooring, kind of gravelly, not polished, very organic stone. Um, and as your head kind of comes out, you hear much louder the sound of rushing water above you, but no sign of Jasmine. I'm going to look up. So as you look up, what you see is that there reaches a point about maybe 30 meters above the top of the plane where the water is doing the reverse of what it was doing at the surface, which is it's pushing out and cycling back into the ocean. And it's almost like it's bulging down in this bowl towards you, but it somehow is managing to stay in its configuration it's not like rushing down towards you but you can see looking straight up this cyclone of lit water leading up to the surface and it looks to be several hundred meters if not thousands of meters of rushing water leading up to dark night sky okay i am going to walk well i'm gonna pull my head back in and i want to walk up to where nathaniel has sat down can I say Nathaniel my boy you all right ah oh, jeez man did you look at that that's just oh, oh my god that's, that was I unfortunate just hey look man I, i've seen a lot on the streets i just wasn't expecting that right there at that moment so uh yeah i'll get myself together man Okay. Can I get anything for you yeah where's jazzy uh i was looking for her you know that was my next step and 
I was looking for her too, but I can't seem to find her anywhere. I, I did find Evan over there. I'm about to go check on him again because he's alive. But he, he seems to be a little uh, uh, petrified, you might say. Uh, yeah, you go check on him. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna open the uh, the 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 restroom up here. Maybe she uh, she tried to you know get herself in there for safety or something. So maybe, hopefully, the door was open too. I'm thinking maybe possibly the she restroom door. No, the plane door. Uh -huh. She may have already gotten out before we were able to get up here. Uh -huh. So we might want to leave and check that out in a check minute. Just a minute. So yeah, okay. So I'm gonna. We said earlier that there was a little bathroom stall up on the front of the plane and the one at the back of the plane. The no, there's at the the back of the plane is a bathroom. The front of the plane there is like a cabinetry. Okay, I'm not there's not a bathroom. No, there's not a bathroom. Um, but in the captain's uh, the the cockpit, you you see the the dial panels. You see a large cabinet as well that you have not seen because the door had been locked previously, um, and some various shelves, lights flickering. But very minimal power seems to be just just enough to light up a few warning lights. All right, then <clears throat> if there's not a bathroom there, then I'm not going to you know, look for her in it. <laughs> but what I would like to do is, is there like the headset the captain would wear or like a, a CB radio type handheld uh, you know, microphone? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for the radio. Okay. So make me a spot hidden roll. Failure. <laughs> I think I'll spend the six points of luck. Okay. Oh, I forgot how low my luck is. Sorry. That yeah, I know. You're fine. Um, so you are able to dig around and you find a headset that is what the, the captain would normally wear, um, the pilot. Um, upon putting it on and trying a few different dials, you realize you're not getting enough power to to power anything. But in your search, you did find in one of the cabinets a duffel bag with some very basic survival supplies, including three flashlights, some flint steel, some matches, um, like a thermal blanket, just some very basic things. And I'm not going to list it out. This is going to be cool. one of those that Later on, if you're like, oh, does this bag have this? If it's reasonable, we're going to call it reasonable. Um, but you find a bag of survival supplies that have been kind of haphazardly shoved into a cabinet. But there's not enough power, it seems, or this headset does not function currently or ever. Right, I'm going to grab the bag and you know, turn my head back towards the, the cabin. And <clears throat> Bernard, I found some stuff. And I'm going to flick on one of the flashlights and aim it down that way okay um when you flick on these flashlights you can tell these are very high powered flashlights so it does illuminate the cabin fairly well um and with the amount of light you're able to see the amount of damage that has been done to the interior of this plane um chairs are half upended there's bits of seaweed and you know puddles of water and carpets ripped up from the side the the Paneling on the sides are dented from either people or things hitting them. Um, the inside of this plane is a complete mess. You are able to see where Bernard has covered Leslie's body 
Um, and there's a moment of relief. You still know it's there, but you're not having to actively look at it. So there is a moment where you're like, okay, I can approach into the plane and have no issue. You can still see Evan clutching the chair and Alfred is sitting at the back of the plane, just beginning to look a little better, um, beginning to kind of apply pressure with like a scrap of sleeve to his head. But yes, that's, that's where you were at. Is there a first aid kit in this, uh, no, bag? There is not. That is like the one exception to the bag. There is no okay. first aid. No, using the flashlight. I've only got one turned on. I'm going to yeah. head back towards the back. And you were going to who? Evan. Evan? Okay. Um, so as you approach Evan, you can hear him kind of muttering to himself like, Dick, no, I just, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. Just, just muttering in a very soft tone, still visibly shaking. You can only see his back, but he is visibly shaking and all the muscles in his shoulders and his spine are in full clench as he is holding this chair as if it was the only thing keeping him from falling into the abyss. Young man. Hmm. Hmm. Did I hear him saying, just want to go home? Mm -hmm. I'm sure all of us can agree at this point we would much rather be anywhere but here. But part of that is getting up and walking away. So it seems you're physically able. How can we get you up and about so we can try to find some way out of this? Um, and as you begin to talk, you can kind of see like one arm begin to relax. And he kind of turns his head up towards you. He's like, where the fuck are we, man? How are we here? Why are we not drowning? What? I'm not sure. The only way to find out is by getting out of here. So before this water comes in, we should probably make waves. Oh, fuck, man. I should have stayed at school. I should have listened to my mom. And you can see him begin to kind of pry himself from this chair. And as he begins to kind of lift up the chair, he looks kind of down under the table and then you hear him go, fuck, man, and begins to scramble up as he has just caught the sight of the lower half of Leslie's body. It's just thrumped underneath the table. And he almost cat-like climbs up over the back of the <coughs> chair, over the headrest and around the back and just kind of pins himself to the wall. He's like, what the fuck? Oh, shit. And then he looks up and sees Leslie's going. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. He's full panic mode. Just every other word is a cuss and a swear and he's grabbing his hair and he's just, he is full panic. Jeez, uh, man, get yourself together. <laughs> Never seen anything bad before? This from the guy who just jumped back <laughs> just, all the way up into the cockpit. Seen something, something bad? Are you serious right fucking now? Do you, can you even comprehend? Hey, hey man, I'm, I'm not sure, but like, I mean, there's a good chance you're just in shock here. Um, so can I use like, uh, my first aid training from being a cop, mm -hmm. um, to see if I think he's physically in shock or if it's just the mental reaction? You certainly can. God, clueless. Um, okay. I'm going to make the assumption that there's some physical shock here. And I'm going to take that thermal blanket out of that bag and, and put it over. Here, dude, just 
you know, hug on to this. It'll, it'll help you center yourself. Yeah, he allows you to put the blanket on, but he he's kind of just teetering and he's like looking at it like, what the the fuck is this going to do, man? Like, I'm not even that cold. And he just started, and then he kind of just, he's like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Dude, jeez, man, you're in shock, okay? So. The fact look, that you're not is also quite shocking. Hey, look, just between me and you, I, when I saw the guy, I, I fell over my ass. I was butthole over tea kettle back into the cockpit until I can get my shit together. The only person that seemed to be able to hold things together here was Bernard. So, me and you, dude, we just, just look at me, man. Yeah, and you see a moment where he kind of looks between the two of you and realizes that he's kind of being the wuss right now. And while he still looks visibly, like, concerned, you can see him kind of like, yeah, no, it's, it's, no, it's good. It's good. And Got he, the frat boy bro code there for a second. Right, can't show weakness <laughs> or emotion. So he had, like, a frat boy moment where, you know, but you can see his eyes are just trying to dart around the whole room and look up and down at everything. Um, So... Hey man, you're young and strong. Come come back here and uh, help us with uh, with Alfred. He's he's a little shaken up. He might need some help getting off of here. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I can do that. And then he starts walking, and the first step that he takes it like falters, and then he shakes it back off and keeps going. And he's like, "All right, Alfred, uh, here to assist." And what you know, you bleeding. And Alfred's like, "I'm I'm fine. I'm good." And he gets up and he kind of shakes it off. He's like, "You young man." need to calm down <laughs> because alfred rolled very much like bernard here it's just i guess with age comes a little bit of calmness it's like eh, I, I read the obituaries every morning for my friends dying this is nothing <laughs> i'm gonna look around and see if there are any sticks that might be useful as canes and possibly uh braces if somebody okay uh, make me a luck roll. <clears throat> Eighty-seven, okay. missed by two. Um, Can so I you, spend two luck? No. <laughs> so you do find some bits of like bars and things like that from chairs that have come up, but most of them are jagged and bent and would not serve the purpose, or they have been so damaged that they no longer have enough structural integrity to bear weight of somebody. Um, but you do find quite a bit of industrial rubble amongst all this stuff where chairs have broken, tables have broken. Make a great band name, by the way. Industrial rubble. <laughs> it would, actually. Did the... I forget what you call them. Stewardess professionals. <laughs> did they have a cart? No, she did not have a cart. She used a tray. Okay. Unfortunately. So. All right, so... uh What's outside? You said you noticed the door was open. I assume you took a peek. There was some kind of stone floor, and up above there was... It looked like what you would expect the bottom of the water to look like, but for some reason it's not coming all the way down. Something's keeping it off of this stone floor. Right, so like, is it a whirlpool funnel all the way up to the surface, or like, are we in a bubble? It looks like we're in a bubble. Oh, jeez, man. Look at this shit. <clears throat> but stone floor. Who the Come hell on. lays a stone floor at the bottom of the freaking Atlantic Ocean, man? 
Well, if you're familiar with the Marvel comics, <laughs> never mind. Let, let's just walk outside and check everything out. I wasn't able to look very much because I was just trying to see if I could catch sight of Jasmine. Yeah, she may have gotten been thrown clear of the rubble. You know, she was... You may remember before all this shit happened, she was acting really strange. Yeah, she may have jumped out before we got down here. Yeah, so... Uh, geez, Alfred, are you okay? Can you walk, man? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm fine. A little weak in the knees, but um, I should be just fine to go. All right, well... Just get, I just rem- remind you that even though I had uh, reached for my waist to find a gun when the guy... I saw the decapitated man that I am carrying a gun. It's in a, one of those shoulder holsters under, I just, in my freak out. I went, went for the waist. Went for work. Well, I was a beat cop for so long. That's normally, you know, so muscle memory went there. Yep. Um, but I, I think I'm going to pull my gun out. Okay. And you can do the cool gun blasting. thing. Go outside. You can do the cool, like, gun flashlight thing. Where you like put the flashlight on top of the gun and do the thing? I'm torn between that and the holding the gun sideways thing. Cool, but you uh, can yeah, do that and the flashlight. I, I think I'm gonna have to do the you know standard. This is how you trained in, in, okay. in cop school. And, yep, okay. that's what I'm gonna do. So, so you're gonna all exit the plane? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're able to climb. There's any more of that good chicken left? No, nope. <laughs> we might need some food for the. <laughs> Someone there are some, there are some snack bags, like the different like Cheez-Its and chips bags that are kind of strewn about that you're welcome to pick up if you'd like. We'll definitely have to throw those in the duffel. Okay. Yeah, because who knows How where we're, we're going. going to be in this bubble. Yeah, you got it. Right. <clears throat> so as you step out with the more powerful, powerful flashlight, you can see that you're in this large cavernous room. Um, and it's a natural stone that's around you, but it has been kind of cut away. But it's in a very organic fashion, almost, you know, like chisel chunks. It's not been like drilled away or... So these are, there are stone walls. walls. There are stone walls now that you're outside with the I'm proper pic- I had been picturing we were just, you know, Moses in the Red Sea and we had this wall of water over. Yeah. So upon looking up, you can see that at the very top of this about 30 meter stone wall... It almost looks like this dimple of water that's hanging kind of almost like reverse surface tension down towards you. And it does kind of sway down, but it meets to a perfect little whirlpool circle. And if you look straight up the whirlpool, you can see hundreds of meters above the swirling water leading up to dark night sky. It's a negative water muffin. Exactly. It's a negative water. You look up to a negative water muffin. That is just being suspended above you. <laughs> it's kind of hard to explain what I'm picturing, but that was as close as we got I so far. <laughs> Negative water muffin. It works for me. Um, but you are in a stone cylindrical shaped So big room. round room. Big roundish room. There's a plane blocking half of your view of the room, but the side that you can see, it's curved walls. A lot of algae growth, the occasional, like, dead fish. Sure. So the first thing I'm going to do is just scan all of this side of the room on this side of the plane. The walls all the way across. I'm looking for jasmine and or danger. Okay. 
Make me a spot hidden, please. Both of you. Success. I see nothing. Okay. So here's what you both see. As you begin to pan with your flashlight, you can see these cylindrical walls. You do see um, a large pile of rubble to one side of you um, that's very reminiscent of like a older style boat um, that's been kind of almost like cleaved in half and left to rot. It looks very unsafe. It's very mildewed and rotten. And boat know, or ship? Ship. But you're only seeing probably like the back one quarter of it. Everything else is either not here or disintegrated down to a point that it's in, ineligible. In whatever the word is that my brain wanted to put there. Um, but you can see it's kind of sitting face down, ass up on the ground with all this splintered wood and bits of metal all around it as you pan. Um, that's what you both see. You, with your success, do see that on the other side of that boat, there seems to be the very faintest outline of some kind of passage, but it is completely bombarded and covered by this shipwreck. It is nearly wedged into this hole. It's almost like the ship was driven straight into whatever tunnel that is behind it. And what you can actually see is just the back end that has kind of broken from the strain of the angle. Can I would like to walk over to the boat. Mm -hmm. And can I tell what kind of ship making it is? Do you have a role of some kind that you can make for me? Archaeology or anthropology. Either one would history. be perfect. I would I would take any 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 three of those, honestly. I'll do archaeology because I got a sixty-nine. Nice. nice. Thirty-six, so it's a hard success? No, it just misses hard. <laughs> Story of his life. Story of my life. Okay. So you can tell by this that it is Oh, it's not a modern ship obviously. By your rough estimation, you'd say it's probably between the 12th century and 16th century. Do I get an inclination of where? Uh, vaguely European. You know, based on your, your location from where you flew to to where you were going, that you're somewhere just off the coast of Africa and Europe. So... It's not totally out of the realm, but it is a vaguely European style boat with the large step up in the back, you know, and um, the railings was like, like a the, galleon. Mm -hmm, very much like that. So, but you're only seeing the very back half. So it's a lot of the indicators that would give you more precise locations and timelines are lost to what's in front. But judging by the age, the style, that, that would be your rough estimation. Nathaniel. Be careful over there, man. The bottom of that boat, it'll kill you. <laughs> kill you. I do think this is a early, early modern boat from probably Europe. I don't think we'll find anything too useful for our travels here, but we may be able to find some rusted swords or something. Fuck Sword. yeah. Is my, is my fog of war working? Okay. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Sorry, I had, I had my roll 20 just so that y'all can see the map. Um, and I 
you know, there's just testing. <laughs> Try to make this. It looks like I can't tell that there's a hole in the wall up there. Did, did this ship crash in there and cause that hole? Or I mean, look at the edges. It it almost looks like that was a made structure, and the ship just kind of poked its nose into it. You see what I'm talking about there? Yeah, I kind of do. Yeah, and, and with him pointing out, you are able to see that it looks like the nose of this this ship has just jammed itself into some kind of tunnel. And what's left is just that last quarter bit that you can see. Are there any ropes hanging off of the ship? Um, There are a couple, but given the age and the condition of which they're being stored, they are, if you reach out to touch one, it, it begins to crumble away. Is the wood sturdy enough for climbing? No. This without roll, you both can tell none of this wood is safe to hold any sort of weight. The fact that it's retained any shape at this point is probably a marvel in and of itself. There is algae and barnacles growing on this, and being too close to it, you can hear the occasional creak of boards. Just your presence alone is stifling the air enough that the the boards are like, oh, I'm going to fall. Like, (laughs) that's how precarious this is. Hey, uh, why don't you uh, stay here with uh, Alfred and Evan? I'm going to do a quick perimeter around the other side of the plane. There appears to be just a big round room. Do a quick look, see if I see uh, Jasmine or... Okay. Okay. Uh, Oh, and before I leave, I'm going to reach in the bag. Actually, I'm going to leave the... I'm going to put the bag down on the ground near all of them, but as I'm coming back up, I'm going to pull out one of the other flashlights and hand it to... Bernard. When I go to turn my flashlight off on my phone, is my phone getting any signal? No. Brilliant. No, not I at can't all. Believe me with my sturdy ass Nokia flip phone, I checked to see if the if the plane's radio was working, but never thought <laughs> the phone. The Nokia is the one thing. The one weakness to my entire thing is that you have a Nokia phone. It's the only thing that can dial out of the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> I, I fully expected that it, <laughs> it was, was going to ask. be a no, but it was, it was worth, an, worth ask. an ask. But genuinely. When you said you had like a Nokia flip form, I was like, that might be able to call out from the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Still needs a signal. If he ain't getting a signal, I'm yeah. not getting a signal. So I'm going to turn around the other way. From, so in my head, we exited the plane. We went right towards mm-hmm. this boat. Um, so I'm going to go the other way, kind of trailing, training the light on, on the wall, but, you know, scanning down to the ground and everything and make my way around the back end of the plane to the other side. Um, one, I'm interested in, you know, how much exterior damage is on the plane. Right. Two, I'm looking for Jasmine. And three, I'm just looking structurally at this place. Are there any other tunnels? Um, anything that would concern me about the uh, billions of gallons of water that are on top of us come crashing in on us? Right. Um, so, easy answer for the billions of gallons of water, you don't know. You have no idea. In- inverted water muffin. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't know. Uh, you do know that it is uh, not a comfortable sensation. Um, it, would, it, it would be almost the akin to, like, you know, a shark flying over you uh, a couple feet. Of, like, it, it's so unnerving to see water behave in a way that you know, even with your minimal science experience, is not how water behaves. Right. I'm thinking, <laughs> liquids if whatever centrifugal force is causing that thing, 
stops, then the water is just going to come down and fill this void. Yeah. So as far as the plane <coughs> How does goes. the air? Does the air smell and feel fresh like it's been sucked down through this tube? Or is this like old bottom of the ocean been here for centuries along with this boat kind of air? So the air is salty, obviously. Mm, so am I. But it is not that ancient air taste. It tastes like if you were sitting up top on the ocean side on a boat, that kind of salty sea air. Well, there's one good thing here. The water is ready to come crashing down on us, but the funnel effect is bringing us fresh air. Correct. As far as the plane, you can see that the plane has sustained quite a bit of damage. One of the wings is... So we're not flying this bitch out of here. You're not flying it out of there. One of the wings (laughs) is... Um, like broken off at the halfway point. The other, the extension portion of it is nowhere to be seen yet. Um, the tail end, a lot of the, I don't know, plain terms, so don't come at me. The fins on the back are either completely gone or bent at odd angles. Um, you can see that the door that the pilot and the stewardess exited out of has been completely ripped off at this point. It's no longer there. Um, so structurally it would not fly. Um, but it seems structurally sound enough right now that it's not in danger of collapsing any further or causing settling any or anything. Correct. Like it that. seems relatively stable where it's at. Okay. Um, you probably don't want to go, you know, manhandling it, but probably shouldn't bounce on the other wing. Probably or not. <clears throat> um, as you come around, you continue to see that same kind of rough cut floor and rough cut wall as you approach the back end of the plane. You can Is see the floor dusty. No, it's wet. Any chance of seeing footprints in this? Make me a spot hidden. You don't want me to run track? (laughs) Make me a track roll. (laughs) I'd rather do spot hidden if you're still allowing it. Yes. (laughs) Spot hidden, please. That's a hard success. Nice. Okay. So you don't see footprints per se. The stone does not have enough of like a surface tension to retain like water footprints. You know those like. Mm-hmm. But what you do see, as you're as you're kind of panning the floor, is that your light kind of hits a strange glimmer in the wet floor. It's not like soaking wet, but it is a damp rock. Um, and as you kind of pan back over it, you realize that it's a difference in viscosity to the water that you're look, otherwise looking for. And you kind of crouch down and look at it, and you realize that where you're standing and several feet in front of you and several feet behind you is a trail of little blood droplets leading away from the door that you exited out of to the backside of the plane and off into the darkness. Jeez, oh, Bernard, I found a, a blood trail here. This might be Jasmine. As you say that, your voice echoes extremely loudly. For you to have called out to somebody who's at the front of the plane. Yeah. Just. Still believe that's what I would have done. I'm I'm with you. I'm just ambiance. Well, you know, above the table, Steve. <laughs> Don't <laughs> do anything stupid. But <laughs> yeah, it's fine. A cop down here. Yeah, you know. call it a stuff. All right, so um, still kind of scanning with the flashlight to check out the walls. Are there any other uh, tunnels or whatever? But mostly now, I'm just going to try and follow the blood trail. Okay. So... You when I see- hear mm-hmm. that, yeah. I'm going to tell Evan and Alfred, hold on, I'm going to go check with him 
see if we can find Jasmine. Y'all sit tight, and I'm going to make my way over there. In the dark? Man, we can't see shit if you leave with the flashlight. There's one more flashlight in the back. I'll reach in and grab a different flashlight and toss them the one I have. Okay. And you see Evan clutch the flashlight just like to his chest and just start panning in a, in a slow circle looking. Um, and they don't look happy that you're walking away, but they have no intention of moving unless having to. So you can approach up to Nathaniel, who's at the back of the plane, kind of almost the corner opposite of where you guys were at the front left. You're at the back right. Yeah. Okay. So as you are panning, you hear footsteps come up behind you and you turn to see that it's Bernard. Um, and your flashlight begins to cruise over the walls again. And you can see maybe 50, 70 feet in front of you that there is another opening. But in the opening is something very bright and shiny and metallic. And as you study it a little closer, you realize that it is a very old school plane rudder that is in this door frame and it's very large large enough that you could climb between the spokes of the of the is rudder the right word the front of the plane the spinny bit propeller propeller i'm sorry the rudder the rudder is the thing that directionally i'm with it okay sorry i don't know these things but it's a very large propeller that you could actually with a minor bit of maneuvering climb through the holes in the propeller into this tunnel that is very dark. And does it look like that's the way the blood trail is going? No. Okay. So I'm going to shine it on the propeller and look over at uh, Bernard. I might be a way out of here. But uh, got to find Jasmine first. So, How close is it? Yeah, 50 to 70 feet. Okay, I'll stay with him. Um, if you would like to try to make a roll from this distance, I'd, I'd allow it. I mean, 50 to 70 feet is not excruciatingly far, unless you canonically have really bad eyesight. No. Okay. So, you want to try to follow the blood trail a little bit and see where it leads you to? Yes. Okay. So, as you begin to follow the blood trail, it kind of leads off around to the back side where the uh, stewardess and the captain exited the plane, but it veers off away from the plane and heads towards another end of the cavern. Um, the size of this ca- cavern is quite large. Uh, it's hard to get a grasp because you're having to kind of do this. You're not being able to walk from one side to one side, but it feels quite large. It's large enough to fit a small plane comfortably. Um, but as you approach where the droplets are blood going, what you see in front of you is another tunnel that is about 60% blocked off with an entire longship. Viking style with the large dragon head front, reasonably in pristine condition given its age. Um, it is held together here, kind of propped up on one side, but it its nose is covering about 60% of this opening. And you can see that the blood kind of goes into this opening and can even see on the front of this plane or the the boat a kind of smeared blood handprint that catches your your light um, indicating that Jasmine has probably moved into this tunnel system. But it and Bernard you are impressed 
Um, nowhere historically has anybody found a longship this together. And the fact that it's in this, you know, area, it's mind-boggling to you how it could possibly be that well-preserved while still delicate, but it's, it's intact. I'm going to crawl up into the ship and grab an oar. Okay. So make me... Um, First, make me a luck roll. Made it. Okay. So you are able to find some of the sturdier bits of wood to kind of crawl up into it. Um, but you are going to need to make me a dexterity roll because it is not pristinely whole. And there are a lot of obstacles and pitfalls <laughs> and busted bits to the ore. Because you can see one on the other side. Looks like most of them have been lost to whatever caused it to sink. But you can see one that is still attached on the other side. So a dexterity roll to get across it safely and back. What do I see closer? Shields, swords, axes. The bones of English priests. You see on the side of the ship where they would have hung shields, you know, kind of decoratively along the thing. Most of them are gone, but you can see maybe 10 feet away from you with reasonable access, one that is mostly intact on the side of the ship. Can I reach it? Yes. I'm going to grab it off. Okay. You now acquired one Viking shield. I'm going to put it on. Okay. You can tell by its age and condition it would not protect you from any So a Viking attack. shield and a, and a flashlight. <laughs> it's quite it's, a look. It's a, it's a Viking Jedi Knight. Yeah. And your your little, you know, archaeological heart is a pitter-patter. But you know that if anybody were to come at you with a ping-pong bat, you, like, you would just, it would not withstand the hit. But it's, you feel super cool. You feel pretty baller. For an old man. Are there tracks on the boat? No. It looks as though she passed underneath of it and kind of used her hand to kind of brace and to know where her clearance was. And so there's like one smeared handprint way at the bottom, about maybe four feet off the ground. Okay. I think I misunderstood that part as no. so climbing. The boat, the bottom of the boat kind of curves up and this top of the boat and she's you're able to pass under just that front bit into a cavern. So it's just like this little bottom corner of the of the tunnel that you can see that you would have to kind of go under the nose of the boat. And there's like a handprint on the underside. Nathaniel, looks like we have a course ahead of us. It does. Uh, I'm going to kneel down and under the front of the boat and look. I'm going to look sternly into the tunnel. Boat pun. Rewind, catch it. Um, I'm sorry, I was hitting my vape and I couldn't laugh. And I'm going to <coughs> call out, Jasmine! My jeez, girl, are you in there? You hear your voice echo and echo and echo. Um, 
being that you're from the city, you probably have not spent a ton of time in caves. You, however, probably would. And you can tell by the length and like the the tone that his echo takes that that path is a long, empty tunnel. It is very long. Whereas if it was kind of shorter, the echo would have been a different vibrational return you having spent time in all these different places you you know that wherever she went it's massive and you hear nothing back but your own voice but both of you make me a listen roll Nineteen against a twenty. I failed. Okay. So, Bernard, you hear coming from behind you, back towards where the propeller and the tunnel is, a very distinct sound that it takes you a moment to kind of register what you're hearing. But after a second of processing, you realize it sounds like stilettos on gravel. A very clickety-clack, but a pace of, of walking. And at about the time you figure out that sound, you actually see a, a shadow cast from that area. Behind. From behind you at the, the tunnel that has the propeller blocking it. Um, and you both turn around to see some form of light coming from that tunnel. And that's about the time when you hear the click, 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 click of stilettos on gravel. It's the only way to describe it. It's I'm very precise. turn quickly, flash my light that way. Jasmine. Um, Was she wearing see... high heels? No. Flats. Ballet flats. You turn to see a woman, as gracefully as can be expected, kind of ducking her head under the propellers and... Standing up, and she's wearing a business suit, like a pencil skirt, red heels, hair is done up, um, and she's got on, you know, beautiful earrings and jewelry, and she's holding like a portfolio. And she's like, I'm so glad you could make it. If you'll all just head this way, where are the rest of the passengers? All right, real quick, does she look like the... the Flight attendant for no, she has a much more severe look about her, uh, much more makeup, or much more of a power stance kind of woman, you know. Whereas the stewardess was a little more homely, a little older. This one's she's young, probably in mid forties, but definitely feeling every inch of whatever power she knows she has. She's got that very Sex in the City strut to her. About that time, you see the other flashlight come around the back of the plane as Evan and Alfred have heard a very unbeknownst to them voice come out. And Alfred's like, what? And she's like, okay, well, now that we're all here, if you'll please just head this way. And she ducks back down under the oh, pillar and begins to walk away. Jeez, lady, hey, what, we're not all here. We got Jasmine. We got to find... What do we do, guys? Who the hell is this lady? How does she look that good? 
I'm not sure. I expected the moisture in his hair to be a little frizz to that hair, but I mean, she was put together like a brick shithouse. She's a brick. Seems like we might want to find out what she's here for. Yeah, I'm a little torn between Jasmine could be hurt and just stumbling around doing hurt, stumbly things, and and this lady who might, you know, apparently she was expecting... You don't think this is all some big old trick, and this is part of our trip, do you? I don't think so. Does she seem to be expecting us? Maybe Jasmine wasn't the only one drugged on that plane. This whole thing's been some kind of weird knock us out, then set us up in this like weird Hollywood-like set. Maybe we're in Morocco, and this is all just... I mean, how is she going to explain this here, Doc? I can explain it. I right, imagine we do? you should do follow we... her. Hey, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my, my flashlight still on, on the floor, pointing into the long tunnel where the blood left. I'm going to leave this here in case Jasmine's trying to find her way back. Okay. I don't know how long the battery's going to last, but I mean, we got to give her at least a shot, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't like this, but I don't know what else to do. Let's go. We'll follow the red heels. So you both head for the propeller opening. Okay. Uh, Alfred and Evan follow behind you. Um, both just following the two of y'all's leads. You seem to be the two in charge, and they're happy to let you have that role. Um, and you begin to walk down. Actually, Jasmine was in charge. We're rudderless. <laughs> Propellerless. Propellerless. They're interchangeable. You begin to walk down a long hallway. Um, you no longer see the woman, but you do begin to see these, um. Can we still hear the clickety-clack? No. That bitch is taking off her shoes, man. We're screwed. <laughs> As you go down this hallway, you see that on one side, um, there's another block tunnel with some mechanical rubble of some kind. It's kind of hard to tell what it was uh, because there seems to be some sort of workstation set up with saws and hammers and all these different tools. Uh, along the walls, there are these like strung electrical lights that are kind of lighting these various points. Um, and so your flashlights are still very helpful, but there is some dim lighting that you can see. Um, you approach this four-way stop, and to the right of you is this rubble and this workstation. In front of you is another long tunnel with string lighting going down. In the corner of this four-way is a very large, very rusted and algae-covered anchor that has kind of been propped up on the side. This thing is probably... 10, 15 feet. It's massive. The kind of ship that it would take to use this would be absolutely absurdly large. Um, and then to your left, you see an opening. And just inside the opening is a very well-lit room. And the woman, standing in the center of this room, just very pleasantly smiling and waiting. I guess this is the way. Switch out those uh, flashlights. We might need the batteries. <clears throat> I'll switch mine off. So I'll step towards that room. Hey, geez, lady, are we in Morocco? Is this the trip? Is this a gag? What's the bit here? 
Just one moment. Please have a seat. And as you walk into this room, you can see that this room is very confusing. So it is a hollowed out stone room like the last one you're in, much smaller. Um, there are tunnels leading off in various directions, most of which are blocked off with very large stone chunks or large pieces of metal. Um, directly across from you on the other side of the room, there is some large metal apparatus that has been shoved into a tunnel. It looks very similar to almost like a submarine access with this big, large steel handle. Um, but it has a lot of other intricacies to it. It looks like some panels, some wiring, and things like that. In the center of this room, there was a large metal grate that is kind of hobbled together by various bits of metal and misshapen panels that are kind of riveted together and covering some kind of large hole. Which all kind of fits with what you've looked at in other rooms. But, just to the right of the doorway, there is a lovely mahogany desk with a very pleasant-looking young lady sitting in front of it, dressed with, like, a little cardigan, and she has a little laptop, and she is typing away and stamping things and filing them away. Just behind her is a small little cabinet with, like, a full-size fax machine and printer with a bunch of wires coming up and leading up into some kind of small hole in the ceiling. Um, along the left side, there is, like, a large wall-size filing cabinet with all these different drawers, you know, big, large metal filing cabinet. It's very off-putting, this kind of half-office space, half-sunken cavern. <laughs> Freaking where's Captain Nemo with his 20,000 leagues under the sea shit? Right. You see the woman standing, and at this point you do notice that behind her there are three men who are very... Is this the cardigan woman or red heels? Red heels. Okay. Um, behind her are three men that are kind of stationed at various points in the room. And these are all very large men holding very large guns. And in front of her are th four seats. They're the plastic, you know, pull-apart seats that kind of stack together. And they've all kind of been lined up in a row. And she's like, if you'll have a seat, we'll get started in just a moment. So I'd like to think, as we first walked in the room, right... Strange situation, strange surroundings, cop training. I'm immediately scanning, right? So I clocked the three guys quick. Yeah. I'm holding my gun. Uh, what I'd like to try to do is kind of maybe stealthily return it <coughs> to my shoulder holster underneath my coat. Hopefully before any of them see that I have it, especially once I see that they're holding guns that are more powerful than mine, and I don't want to get, I don't want to lose mine. Okay. So <clears throat> you want to make me like a sneak or stealth roll, or do you want to... Slide of hand, possibly. Slide of hand. I would even take... I'm trying to think of other ones that might work. If you Law. have, If you have other... Um, Arguments for for skills, I will hear them out. Um, okay, how about my handgun skill? You know, I thought about that. I did. Um, 
Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I have probably stood in front of my mirror at home. Doing the... You know, since Nancy left me. What nice. cop doesn't? Yeah. Practicing pulling it out from a... No, I agree. Go ahead. Roll it. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You practice pulling out after your wife left you? <laughs> <laughs> you should have practiced before. So you got a little Jimmy. That is a hard success. Okay. Um... <clears throat> One second. I need to. I don't know how good this ruse will work since Red Shoes probably saw the gun in my hand. But when I had the gun in my hand back in the cavern, I also had my flashlight on top of it, which would the obfuscated a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um. So she rolled a six on her spot hidden. Um, so as you begin to and I think stow earlier, it, I, I felt a little bad earlier about referring to her as a bitch. <laughs> now I don't. <laughs> now I don't. Um, as you go to put away, um, she kind of looks at you and gives you a little knowing smile and continues on unperturbed. Like you having a firearm is of no concern to her. Um, well, at first I'm glad she's not saying anything. And then second, I'm worried that she's not saying anything. Right. What would you like to do? She's offered you a seat, saying that you can be that y'all can begin as soon as you had a seat. Otherwise, the stage is yours. What do you want to do here? I'm going to uh, walk forward a little bit so that it's not an awkward distance for conversation. Okay. And with red heels, I'm going to say. Hey, uh, there was one other person on the plane that we were looking for when you came out. And I don't know why we're here or what you need with us, but I would like, and my friend as well, would like to, if this is going to be a lengthy process, go try to track her down before we get into anything else. So we'll buy your timeshare when we come back. I assure you, but can we just walk down there and maybe your guys can help us too? Mr. Mitchum, I assure you the Miss Jasmine has been taken care of. Do not worry. She's just not here at this present moment. If you have a seat, all will be explained. What do those chairs look like? They're the blue plastic uh, chairs that kind of like sit together. And they have like metal chair legs. They are not comfortable. Not doctor's office waiting room chairs, emergency room waiting room chairs. Um, more like college auditorium. Three chairs that were bought somewhere else and were put in the front office of the mechanic shop. Exactly. Gotcha. I'm going to walk up and have a seat. Okay. Alfred and Evan follow behind you suit and sit down. Mostly at Alfred's behest. Hey, you know, geez, what's going on here? He says as he nervously moves towards and then sits down. Well, we all appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us this evening. Um, As I'm sure you all read. See, I told you this was part of the trip. It's up in a gag. Mr. Young, I don't appreciate being interrupted. 
Jeez, oh, yeah. hey, you know, we ever heard the customers always right? You know, we won these trips now. You know, we expect to be treated like uh, winners. I agree. So as per the terms and conditions of your contract entry, we have brought you here today to, um, well, I'm sure you all read it, so I'll just move on to the better bits. Um, so moving forward, there will be the four contestants and then being able to compete for the right to be the great sacrifice to our God and Savior. Now, I'm sure you're oh, all oh, very oh, hold excited. Hold on just a minute I'm sorry. Missy, um. Somewhere in there, I think I heard the word compete and sacrifice. Um, geez, what are you guys up to here? This is... Lillian, the paperwork. And you see the secretary kind of file through and come bring you some files. She's like, yes, here, Article 7, uh, Paragraph B, Line 4. All contestants are subject to contest regarding the sacrificial right of... Yeah, it's, it's all right here. You all signed it, so... Now... I don't give a sunken fuck what the hell I signed this is supposed to be a contest we won something you're not going to put us in here and make us compete against each other for <clears throat> who the hell are you people my apologies the name is Bella Strutton uh, I am the legal representation for Nafrin Corp in this operation um, I'm going to take you did not read your terms and conditions before applying for the contest. No, nobody ever reads that shit. Mm. You know, if you read every piece of paper they put in front of you when you tried to buy a car, Jesus Christ, the car would be uh, three years old before you got out of the dealership. It's all the small print. Shit won't hold up in court. Screw you. I'm You're right. It wouldn't hold up in court. The problem is, is that you're never going to make it to a court. You see, I'll be happy to fill you in. We have brought you here today because we need the best sacrifice possible for our benefactor. And in order to do that, we have to find people strong enough to survive certain challenges, such as, say, a plane crashing or being heavily wounded and being able to make it out. And she makes a knowing eye towards Alfred. Um, things of that nature. And so today, it is your job to survive the guardian of the gate, um, which I must say is doing quite well, having heard all of you making all that lovely noise. You see, he senses sound. So, and at that moment, you feel a little rumble off in the distance, not close, but you can feel it. She's like, ah, impeccable timing as always. So we'll go ahead and begin. So there are multiple tunnels within this system for which to choose, and you're welcome to choose whichever suits you the best. But by the end of it, the survivor will be able to be sacrificed to our god, and we will open our gate and take over the world, and it'll be a glorious experience. Now, if you have any questions, please direct them to our paralegals in HR. Um, they can be contacted. <laughs> Who am I kidding? You won't be contacting anyone. Any questions? I'm going to look over at Bernard with, like, the fuck? No. no <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to stand up. I've got a question for you, uh, Miss... Uh, Strutton. Miss Strutton. Uh, yeah. Um, and I'm going to walk closer to her, you know, uh, using Bernard's uh, example of, you know, comfortable conversation distance. So I'm going to keep walking towards her until I can get about... Three feet from her, you know, with that 
the distance two people would talk from without right. being in somebody else's envelope, you know? She makes no outward representation that this bothers her, though you do see all three men behind her make subtle adjustments in their body stance, letting you know with your training that should you do something they don't like, they will mow you down. Yeah, so right now I'm I'm calculating the possibilities of pulling my gun out, putting it right up against her head and looking over at them and saying, move, move one inch. And, and you know what? Screw calculation. That's what I'm doing. I've gotten within three feet of her. I pull my gun out and pull my, put my arm out so it only takes another half a step to like essentially be touching her head with this. And I'm going to look over her shoulder to the other guy. One move and I'm dropping her. Mr. Young, I understand you're upset. But this won't solve anything. You'll still be down here. Well, there's got to be some way out of here. You guys wouldn't be palling around. And I don't know, those look like uh, this year's Louis Batons or Louis Raton or whatever that guy's name is. So uh, you've obviously been uh, topside recently. So all I got to do is figure out how to get out of here. And the way I figure with this gun at your head, you're going to tell me. Well. That's where you'd be wrong, Mr. Young. You see, I know that in the greatest cause that our Lord could ever ask from, my death would be worth it. So, do as you have to, Mr. Young. But there's no leaving. I want to look over to Marianne, because Ginger here is not very helpful. Um, <laughs> the the cardigan wearing uh, pencil pusher over there is just... You're down with all this? You, you look like a reasonable person there. You're caught up on all of this? To serve is our pleasure, sir. And he goes back to typing. I'm uh, look over my shoulder at Bernard and like, drop her? When he looks back with that questioning look, Bernard's going to stand up sort of slowly and in a quick snap motion, he's going to reach down, pick up his chair, and throw it at one of the guys with the guns. Okay. <clears throat> when he does that, I'm going to try to grab her, maneuver around her in that classic hostage situation where she's in front of me and I got the gun to her head. Gotcha. So, we need to move into combat order. Oh, jeez. What are you taking so seriously for? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, dexterity, yeah? Yeah. What's your dex? 55. 55. How about you over there, sir? 40. 40. We are in combat between the two of you, three armed men... And one sharply dressed lawyer who is being held at gunpoint by you, Nathaniel. So, Bernard, you are first in the combat round. What would you like to do? I would like to throw a chair. You've already thrown the chair. That's what started the combat. How'd that work out? Where were you aiming for? The guy on the end. Okay. 
Um, so make me a throw roll. Sixty-four against a twenty. Okay, so you're able to get it in his general vicinity, but you don't strike him with it. Um, as it goes clattering to the floor, he does have a reaction where he turns and trains his gun on you. The other two less so. Um, the one in the middle kind of turns towards you. The one on the far side away from you. He glances, but he continues to look at Nathaniel, who is now holding Bella Stratton a hostage hold at gunpoint. So... Viking shields have a metal boss with a handle in it. Mm -hmm. Is the metal of the boss intact? It is intact, but its connection points to the wooden shield are weak. Okay. I'm going to pick it back up and start moving towards one of the guys on the end. Okay. Probably the same guy I threw a chair at, actually. Okay, certainly. Anything else? How close can I get? Um, so you can get to within melee range of him if you would like. I'm going to, using the shield boss as an improvised brass knuckles sort of situation, I'm going to throw a punch at him with it. Okay. So... He is going to attempt to dodge. Then you need to make your brawl. He failed his dodge. I got a 23 against a 60, so that's a hard success. Okay. So roll your damage for me. or What is your damage? Normally 1d4. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a plus one for the... Whatever the thing is that John called it. The handle bit. So that's two. Two points of damage. Okay. All right. That makes it Nathaniel's turn. That's good to know. My apologies. It goes Bernard, Nathaniel, Bella, and then the gentleman. So anyway, I start blasting. Um, I am going. I'm going to shoot at the guy on the other end, thinking, considering where she's positioned in front of me, if there's a guy on this side who has a better shot at me, that's the guy I'm going to shoot. Thinking the guy directly in front, I've got a human shield in front of me, and the guy on the other side, I'm more shielded there. Okay. Um, John, do you remember how rate of fire works? <laughs> I've got a rate of fire of three here. I think, it's... I think you can pop off three shots, but there's a penalty. There is. Um, I'm not taking any penalties right now, so I am going to. I'm going to fire at that guy. 
Okay. Um, so that's an 87 over a 70, which is a failure. But I think I'm going to burn 17 points of luck to make it a hit. Okay. He's going to attempt to dodge you. Can I wait and see how he does on yes. his dodge before I burn the luck? <laughs> yes, you can. He rolled a 16, which is a success. So then he is doping, dived, dipped for cover. Moved. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you have the investigator's or keeper's handbook handy? Mm. I do. I got it in roll 20. Either 406 of the keeper handbook or 255 of the investigator. It has those rules. He doesn't have that. I don't have that. Combat. More bullets up to the maximum shown by the number in brackets may be fired, but each shot is taken with a penalty die. And if it's automatic fire, use the automatic fire rules. So each shot has a penalty die, which means I would roll three times then. Correct. If you chose to take all three shots. And the second and third would be the only two with the penalty die. All right, I am going to do the ready to fire three then. So the first one missed. Yes. Second one missed, so I don't need to roll the penalty die. Third one is a success. Penalty die is even better. So 51 out of 70 was a success. So the third bullet hit. Okay. So do I need to re-roll his dodge success? I think it's one time. I think it's only one time. I'm pretty sure that's the way we've been playing it at least. You can only use dodge on one attack if you're diving out of the way of a firearm. Okay. So he had a successful dodge. You have a successful attack. Which means that you deal damage. Uh, we, I think we just compare the levels of success, don't we? Yes. Regular level of success for me. Regular level of success for him. I think I missed. Well, I think for dodge... Well, you didn't, yeah. You succeed. 
fight no, back, for I see. Dodge. No, it's the other, other way. way. Yeah. Defender wins on a tie with Dodge, and attacker wins on a tie with. Okay. So I popped off three bullets, all of which missed him. Yes. Did he drop his gun? Uh, he's able to uh, <clears throat> kind of tuck and roll back to beside the printer and avoid your fire. You do nail the printer, though. It's ruined. Is it like a combo printer, scanner, fax? Mm-hmm. Well, they won't be getting any faxes anytime <laughs> soon. So much for your payroll. <laughs> okay. Uh, that makes it Bella's turn. Now, Bella, Bella is going to attempt to maneuver her way out of your grasp. So, I am trying to find her stuff. There it is. All right, so she is doing a brawl fighting maneuver to remove herself from your grasp. So, what? You think it's a contested brawl? I think it is a contested brawl. Which would be her. It's under fighting yeah. is an actual yeah. skill called brawl. She rolled a 24. What's your size? Her size is a 40. Her size is a 70. I think that gives me some kind of uh, bonus on the attack, but I rolled a 95 failure, so she escapes. Okay. So in a deft movement, she reaches up and grabs your wrist that's holding her and just gives it a twist and a hard motion, which just yanks you to one side and it's probably part of the reason why you missed your shots um and she's able to kind of turn that wrist all the way around and roll herself out of your grasp and back up several feet away from you um she takes a moment to kind of and waits i still have my gun you do still have your gun because she grabbed the arm that was holding her because you were firing off this way um, so that makes it the gentleman's turns. We need to, I need to figure out what they're going to do. So the one that you are shooting at is continuing to take cover. Choosing to not act. The one on the far side that you threw the chair at. And you threw a punch at. And you threw a punch at. Is going to attempt to hit you back. So. He is going to attempt to punch you. I will fight back. Okay. So he got a hard success. And you fumbled. No, I did not fumble. It's a 99. My brawl is a 60. Okay. Still hits. It still hits. So, 
His brawl does a 1d4. Time to go into edit mode, boys. <laughs> he rolled a four. Okay. All right, and the last, the middle cultist. He rolled a four. He rolled a four. Bastard. What did he hit me with? The butt of his gun. Okay. He's been pistol whipped. So the middle one, you see him take a moment to kind of look around you guys. And he has the most detached look of everyone in the room, like fucking Mondays kind of look, you know? And you see him look over at Evan and Alfred sitting in the peanut gallery. And he lifts his gun and levels right for Alfred. Of course. And he rolled a six. So, he takes a burst of shots and peppers Alfred all across the chest. Um, it is swift, and Alfred slumps to the floor. Um, and that is the end of his turn, making it Bernard's turn. So, my guy, does he still have the gun flipped? Where's it pointed? At you. <laughs> so he did a quick, you know, and then reset. Just like when you punch, you would reset. The gun resets back to its original. I am going to, as a fighting maneuver, grab the end of the gun and redirect it towards one of his friends. Okay. So this is contested brawl. 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 He rolled a 16. He succeeds. That's actually a, a hard It's a hard success. I'm making my turn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to take the gun and I'm not going to drop it, but I'm going to let go of it so that it just kind of swirls on my hand. And I, okay. Oh, hey, hey. Knowing that I no longer have this human shield, Alfred just got obliterated. We are vastly outnumbered. All right. Let's just stop this. Okay. So Bella will look to the gentleman and give them a little curt nod. And all eyes of the opposi opposition turn to you as it returns to your turn. They have all foregone their, their turn to see if you are going to continue to fight. <laughs> he wants I guess to. Not. <laughs> he wants to. All right, Indy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, upon seeing that you don't intend to fight back, um, you see Bella look over at the man who shot Alfred, and she looks at me. She's like, "That was a good call, Jeremy. He's not a good fit," and continues to walk back up. So. Would you like to hear more about the opportunity that you've been presented today? Or will we continue to bicker? Like, let's just, you know, can we just get on with this? I don't need the sales pitch. I don't need, geez. I mean, 
You know, if you're looking for the fittest and best, it seems like you've got three of the fittest and best right here. And they're already in. I do understand where you're coming from, sir. However, uh, the stipulations of our agreement uh, are pretty finite. Um, our members are not to be used as sacrifices. It's part of their HR contract they unionized <coughs> several years ago. It's not well, I'd like to join. We apologize. We're not say, uh, taking applications at this time, but I do appreciate the creativity. Um, so... Simply put, without the salesman's pitch, as you so notably mentioned, Mr. Young, is that... Oh, she's talking, I'm going to try to put my gun back in my holster and see if I can get away with it. <laughs> they do. They allow you to, to reholster your gun. Um, and the three men kind of reform back into their original fan positions. Um, simply put, only one person has to die here today. And... Unfortunately, it does have to be a very specific person. It has to be the strongest willed, the bravest, or, you know, some other redeeming, notable quality in order for uh, our endeavor to succeed. And she kind of gestures back at this large grate. And at this point, you kind of notice that there's a spray-painted sigil all around it. And she says, no, it's really up to you. How you choose to achieve this. Uh, I won't, you know, micromanage you into how you choose to do it. Um, but you can either all dial it down here or you can comply. You open my sigil and I let the rest of you free. Until that time, um, we're going to return to home office and we'll be back in the morning to check on your progress. Um, so she kind of gestures to the secretary who gets up and the men begin to take a much more aggressive stance at this point. Like they've been kind of relaxed, but at this point you realize that now is a time where they're going to really make sure you stay at bay as the two women approach the large apparatus at the back of the room. And there's some sort of like keypad on this thing and she, Bella types something out and the door opens and her and Lillian walk in. And then the men kind of backwardly, guns trained on all three of you, one on each of you, back up to the doorway and begin to file backwards into this door and then shut it. And you hear this kind of like as it relocks. A few moments of silence pass and then you hear something that sounds distinctly like a train or a subway or some kind of rail-based transit happening on the other side of that wall. I'd like to examine the sigil. Certainly. So the sigil that you are presented with looks like this. It's very angular and um has a lot of interconnecting lines and points, but it has been done in a reasonably precise manner, given that it's spray paint. Um, you can see the definitive movements of this line that have been kind of scrawled all over this grate. In looking at the sigil more closely, you can see that this grate leads down to a very large hole. Impressively deep. There's no sign of an end to this hole. What does the sigil mean? You want to roll something for it? Occult. Okay. 
93. Um, you're pretty sure it's Santa Claus's sigil. No, you, you have no idea. It's not something that you're familiar with. The art style, the geometry of it is not resonating with anything that you've been made aware of previously. I'm going over to the door, the portal metal door thing, mm-hmm. looking at the keypad, seeing if I can have a feeling that uh, Alfred, the uh, college mathematics professor, might have been our best shot at this door. But How many beeps were there? Seven. You can tell that this has a combination lock. There also seems to be some sort of biometric scanner along with the lock. Uh, we could have beat the combination because there's only 10 million. Um, <laughs> Eventually, we'd have got there. It's not like my phone has service and I can be on TikTok ignoring everything going on around me. I would have nothing to do but... One, 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 one. One, 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 Look, I don't know. She said remove the sigil. Something she probably about meant the grate. Fighting the gatekeeper? No, no. One of us would be sacrificed to the gatekeeper, and then I would let their god come through. Look, I say we do none of that stuff. We try and work on this door, see if we can get out. Worse comes to worse. She says they'd be back in the morning. We do nothing. We don't invite anything to come up through that hole. We don't take any grades off. And we just plan an ambush for when... Like in Home Alone. Perfect. Look, we passed by a place back there with a, like a workbench and a bunch of stuff. We could probably rig something up so that we could, when they come back, we uh, waylay them and then... Sound like some kind of, I mean, hell, it sounded like the E-train down in Brooklyn on the other side of this door. What all is left from where the secretary was? Is the laptop still there? No, the laptop is not there. Um, There are file folders, you know, different desk stationary upright, like, filing systems. But she did take her laptop with her. Is there a landline? There is not. Is there anything sharp in here? Um, sh- make me a luck roll. My Nokia is not going to do it, but you should check to see if there's a you know Wi-Fi in there. <laughs> I rolled a six. Okay. Wasted. What kind of what kind of sharp object are you looking for? Something to strip wires. Okay. So yeah, you can find um, scattered about the room where they were constructing this grate. There are various bits of metal that weren't great fits for... Great fits. Great fits for the great, but are reasonably sharp and well enough handheld. Is there anything in here plugged into an outlet? So there, where the printer is, there is a bundle of cords that are running up through a small hole in the ceiling. So there's no outlet in here? Not in here, no. It seems everything is ran into this one... Massive cable bundle and this run through. If we could get some of that electricity on the door mechanism, 
could possibly fry it and buy us a little extra time when they try to come back in. I like that. So, you can take that sharp object there and we can cut these wires going to the printer. You know, one of those wires is hot. I don't know a lot about electrical. I got a little bit of mechanical knowledge. Um, there's also that kind of work area right back there in the hallway. We might find something over there, too. Let's go check out over there. Okay. So you walk back out into the hallway. You can see the and, work. Uh, Evan's just sitting there keeping the body of Alfred company. Oh, no. Evan has joined you and is following on coattails, but he is not making moves to do any <clears throat> independent thought. It's almost like he's a non-playable character of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but he's very shaken and he's just, he's, he's just hoping that, you know, the two dad figures can figure out how to save him. <laughs> um, so you head back over to the workbench out in the hall. What are you looking for? So I'm looking for explosives. That would be great. Um, anything we could use as improvised weapons, anything like a can of paint on a string, a hot iron that I can make swing into some dude's face. Nice. Um, With some jacks to throw on the ground and, okay. Rubber. Okay. So give me luck rolls and see what we can find here. 39 on an 85. Nice. So there aren't explosives per se. There are. Can I push the roll? Your your successful luck roll? (laughs) No, you may not push your successful. I did too. Um, So there are no explosives. There are basic tools. So there are like wire strippers, should you choose to take them, hammers, saws, um, a particularly sharp chisel. All of that stuff I am sliding off the table into our duffel bag. Perfect. Um, is there anything in particular that you're looking to find with your luck roll that's a success? Is there anything that's an insulator? Yeah, there's some workman's gloves, large like leather insulated gloves that would be used to, you know, grab hold of you know, sharp bits of metal, anything electrified, that kind of stuff. They're like elbow length leather work gloves. Gonna grab them and put them on and go start working on the bundle of cords. Okay. So your goal with the bundle of cords is you're trying to strip away like the outer casings to expose the wiring? I'm gonna cut the wires first. Okay. And then expose the wires. And try to like weave them together to make a long wire leading to the door. Can I tell which one is hot? The one that hurts. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so your options are you can use some kind of roll to deduce that, or you can go the old school way. How many wires are there? A lot. What color are the wrappings on the wires? Everything. This, this place ride for 220? No. 220, 221, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> so everything is wrapped in a black outer casing. Um, peeling away the casing that's like bundling the entire cords together. You've got various different colors. Um, you've got like blues and yellows and greens, quite a few reds, quite a few blacks, um, a decent amount of yellows. But they 
How many thick strands are there? There are three main thick strands. I'm going to cut two of them mm-hmm. higher up and just have dead wire. And I'm going to come back, peel them, link them together, hook them onto the door mechanism. And then the other end of it, I'm going to touch the live wire. Okay. So let's start here with you cutting the wires. Okay. So you're going to cut two out of the three. So I know what these three things do. I'm going to roll to see percentage-wise, like one through 30 is one, and which two you hit. So the first one you cut, you don't see anything outwardly change. You do hear something in the printer make a noise as if maybe that was the power for printer fax combination type deal, but nothing else seems to go awry. Like power for it? Like there's yeah, no, the, no longer a light on? for. Yeah, the there's thing. no longer lights on. Seems like that may have been the power supply for the printer, maybe an extension cord to your computer, that type deal. So you don't see any outward changes. And the second one, when you cut it, all the lights in the hallway go out. I'm cool with that. You continue to have the lighting in your room, in the room you're in, but the lights along the hallway have completely died out. Going to do what I said I was going to do. Okay. So you're going to take them to the door. You're going to hook them up to the mechanism and then try to touch them to what? The live wire. Okay. And what are you, what are your hopes? What are, what are you expecting to happen here? That you're, are you trying to fry out the computer or are you trying to electrify the door to like a touch? I'm going to try to fry out the computer first, but. But the other one sounds good if we can't get through the mechanism. So I'm going to need some kind of electrical roll to see if you're able to connect this in a way that would damage the internal workings of the keypad. I got 10 on electrical repair. What do you got? 10. Now roll to 93. Okay. Push the roll. What's the worst that could happen? Mess what is the system. worst that could happen? I don't think I have to tell you that before you push it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go grab a hammer and a chisel, and I am going to chisel the faceplate. Okay. Um, are you attempting to damage the whole thing, or are you trying to remove the faceplate cleanly? Like, are you trying to be precise and only take off the faceplate, or are you haphazardly just, like, into it? I'm just taking off the faceplate. So you're trying to precisely just take off the faceplate? No. Okay, so what I'm trying to figure out is, 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 do I need to have you roll because you're trying to only take off the faceplate and not damage the internals? Or are you okay with basically... The whole point of this is damaging the internals, but... Okay. I'm aiming for the faceplate. Okay. So, are you trying to get at the internals? Yes. Or are you trying to fuck up the thing? One or the other. 
because that will tell me what whether you need to roll or not. If I'm you're trying, trying to, fuck it up, to you can fuck it up. get at the internals, but my end goal is fucking it up. Do you see my issue with what I need to roll for him? Yeah. She thinks if you're trying to pry off the faceplate, then there's the wires and the guts, then maybe you're going to mess around with that. Yeah. But you're just like, I'm going through the faceplate to damage the internals. No, I, I'm going to try to get the faceplate off first and... Okay. Afterwards, I'm going to try to damage the internals. Okay. So then I need... Give me a faceplate removal roll. Faceplate removal roll, please. Um, let me see what kind of skill would be good for this. For you to try to remove the faceplate without damaging... Persuade? <laughs> Damn, I like that a lot, but I'm not doing it... He's a little Mechanical persuasion. repair. Mechanical repair, electrical repair. I would take arguments for other uh, locksmiths. So, by trade, as a younger man, I spent a great deal of time using hammer and chisel at archaeological digs. That is true. You in did. a very precise manner. You did. Roll it. Still failed. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great one, man. It was a good like, one. That's brilliant. It's too bad it doesn't have like Delta Green because I rolled a 77. And then we could have the fun of a critical failure here. All right. So in trying to chisel it off, um, you're trying to be cautious to not just, you know, hammer the chisel directly into the innards um, and you end up being too cautious and you just keep glancing off the side of it kind of just scraping it off and, and losing the chisel's footing because you're just you're not really committing to jamming and just push the roll what kind of a hammer is this um standard ball peen hammer so it's got a flat side and then the ball side why the fuck would they have a ball peen hammer here? Why would you ask me if it mattered? <laughs> it matters. It's just for what a ball peen hammer is actually used for. Like it's a fir tree in a jungle, dude. Just <laughs> <laughs> I, how about this? We're gonna retcon this, and you're not gonna ask me what kind of hammer, and you're going to talk under the assumption, and I'm never gonna think about whether or not it would have been a different kind of hammer. Okay. <laughs> Because I didn't think about what you were trying to do with it. It's just the first hammer that comes in my head. Ball peen hammer. <laughs> Alphabetically, it's the first hammer. It's the first one. So retcon that. <laughs> you have a hammer. That is non-specified. <laughs> retcon, retcon that. Retcon that. <laughs> I, I would like to try to use the claw instead of the chisel. Okay. To pry. Okay. So go ahead and make me the archaeology roll again. Because I do know archaeologists use pry bars. That one's a 97. <laughs> I got worse by 20. Jeez, dude, step aside for a second. I'd like to go at it with some mechanical repair. Okay. I'm like going to grab just the chisel from him. Not the hammer. <laughs> the you know, the non-ball yeah. hammer. You're, you're trying to do open heart surgery with a chainsaw here and I'm going to take the sharp edge of the chisel and put it on the edge of the the little face plate push in it and try to 
just pop it up. Okay. Make me my mechanical mechanical roll. Well, I got a thirty here. Thirty-eight over thirty. I am going to spend the eight points of luck. <laughs> That's the face of a man who wants it but doesn't. <laughs> and my my luck is getting dangerously low. Okay, so you are able to kind of find a corner that he damaged in the attempt and it's got a little bit of give in it and kind of get that chisel right in there and kind of just work it up and down to release the seal and then with one swift little you're able to kind of pop that front face plate off exposing an internal of wires and servos and other computery sounding words that I don't know (laughs) top me up ball peen servos servos. (laughs) I'm sorry it's just you said hammer my first that was ball peen I don't know why. Well, somewhere there's a suit of armor that occasionally you got to flip that hammer around to the round side to, to pound out the little dent. Exactly. They were putting in some rivets. See? It makes sense. <laughs> okay. So you have the faceplate off. You've exposed the innards of the keypad. Yeah. So you said they're servos. Which is a mechanical thing. Sure. Um, so I'm going to see if I can tell which servo would activate the the throw, the, the bar that is keeping the door lock. Okay, certainly. And if I do that, then I'm going to reach over there and manually push the servo into the other position. Okay. I'm deciding whether or not to make you roll again. I think you should. I think I'm gonna. <laughs> it looks like it's, this one right here controls the, the, the throws for the... Hold on a second. And, uh, damn it. Yeah. Where so was it that one? Um, based on what you can see, uh, you can't tell which servo operates the throws for the door, if any. It's possible that the servos operate something on the opposite side and that the door locks themselves are completely electrical. It's hard for you to tell. You're not familiar enough with this style to make a, an educated guess on it. So you're wanting to try to hook up your hot wire? Okay. So you're going to hook up one end of the wire to... Somewhere inside the electrical box. Something that looks important. Yeah. The big flashy, important looking thing. I got you. So you kind of take some time splicing in wires and then running them down. And you are now standing at the drop down of the wires that are now kind of mangled and exposed. With your chunk of wire and your hot wire. So you want to... I'm going to touch it. Touch it. <laughs> touch it. Okay. Um, make Which me... will then send a blast of current over to the lock mechanism on the door, hopefully frying it out, and the door goes poof and pops open. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. Make me a luck roll. 53 against an 85. Okay. So, 
you do see sparks when the two touch. It's not an absurd amount of sparks, but it is a bit to like kind of toss, you know, turn your face away because it, it begins to spark. So there are two possible outcomes to this. One is that you manage to hook it up in just a way that you pop this, the, the door open, door opens, you're done. The other is that it explodes at the door. And I'm going to leave it up to the dice. <laughs> Does an explosion make the door unable to be opened? Yeah, you'll have to find that out if it happens. Okay. <laughs> so, if it is over... Don't tell us. Keep it in your head and roll it. So, <laughs> you touch the wires and there's this sudden spark. And there's a moment of everybody kind of holding their breath to see what's going to happen. And you hear a hum coming from the door mechanism. And then you begin to see glowing red on the wires where you have connected them, where it's generating a lot of heat. And then there is a very loud pop and a lot of smoke. And then just a flurry of sparks as something inside this mechanical piece has just ruptured. The door does not pop open, but the keypad is fried. If you look inside, you'll find melted bits of things and plastic covers over different things that have just melted as it got so incredibly hot it couldn't stand the lack of resistance. It's just getting pure voltage to this door and you have fried the innards of the door control. Hey, I think you did it there, Professor. I'm going to go over there and like twist the lever, spin the wheel on the door, fully expecting that this door will now open. Yeah, you go to turn it and it is... Still sealed tight. No give. Not a not a millimeter. Hey, maybe there's another way out of this place, right? There was that long tunnel that uh, Jasmine went down. She got somewhere because these people found her. Knew her name. And then this tunnel we came down, <clears throat> we hit that four-way. <clears throat> one way was into here, one way was to the little workshop, and the other way, it's pretty dark out there now, but we got <clears throat> flashlights. Earlier you said we felt a rumbling in the floor. Yeah. Have we experienced any more of that? On and off. They've been minor. And for a while there you didn't notice if they were happening because you had a lot of other things going on. But during this... 20 to 30 minutes of you guys dealing with the electrical stuff, you have occasionally felt some kind of rumbling or shaking coming from somewhere else in this cavern system. It doesn't feel particularly close. Yet. Geez, what I'm most afraid of is that long tunnel that uh, Jasmine walked down, just circled around and that's where this other tunnel goes to. And that's how they found him. But I don't know. 
Is it even worth a look? I mean, what are the chances there's another way out of this place? So the walls are stone, right? Behind the faceplate and wiring, what is behind it? Metal. So there's a metal box in the stone. No. So there's like a large metal port door, like with the big round handle. And embedded in the door is a keypad and biometric recognition that operates the door lock. It is built into the metal door. Imagine like, you know, you take the faceplate off of a light switch and it's like a small hole in the wall. It's like that. You have popped the faceplate and you've accessed this small hole, but it doesn't, there's some places for wires to go off, but it doesn't like open up to the interior of the whole door. Is the stone walls just like solid stone or is it like laid stone, like masonry? Solid. Nathaniel. claw hammer and just start chipping away at the rock all over around this door. I was thinking about that, but what happens to metal when you heat it up? Expands. And I'm going to point to the red wires on the floor. And then I'm going to gesture to the metal door. Or the shot, as you're saying, if we can get it to expand enough that it cracks this stone, then maybe we'll be be able to break through. Maybe. Or it could, if the door itself expands, just pop out. If the stone is too much for it to move. So I'm going to, with the gloves on, take the wire off of the mechanism. And is there a hinge? It's an internal hinge. It's not like on your side. It's on the interior side. Can I tell where that is? Yeah, because you saw the door open. It, you, you have a good approximation of where that hinge would sit. I'm going to try to slide the wire into. It is a f- it is flush. It's like a submarine door. Is the frame that this door is in just the stone, or is there like a metal circle? Or- so it it looks like somehow this large apparatus has been just forced into the stone, and the metal has kind of buckled and bent and wedged itself into some other hole in this wall. But as you grab and begin to undo the electrical from the circuitry and you're trying to assess where this hinge is, you hear ring out a shrill, terrified scream of a young woman. And that's how we're going to end it tonight. That's Jasmine! Does she sound like herself again, or is still the stone jasmine from the plane? Have you made her scream before? Oh. Not in real life. (laughs) Not in real life, only in my wildest (laughs) dreams. Well, that was fun, everybody. I appreciate you guys. I've been your keeper tonight. My name's Emily. You can find me on Twitter at Sister in Darkness. I've got Steve, who is at Rick Stevens PI on Twitter. Yes. And John, who is at Bulby something. 
Is, is it? I don't know. I don't Bobby do Twitter. 37. Look, there you go. I was there. I was getting there. Or is that at Bobby underscore 37? It's at Elon. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Tweet your best gifts at Elon. Send all your messages straight to at Elon. And you'll find him. He'll get back to you, I promise. <laughs> it's been a blast, guys. We appreciate y'all hanging out. Y'all have a good night, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Don't forget. Now everybody's going to sign off. <laughs> Don't forget to negative water muffin all over that subscribe button. <laughs> negative water muffin all over that subscribe button for more content like this. God damn it. <laughs> negative water Brilliant. muffin. Brilliant. Bye. Bye. It sounds like some weird like Subcategory of a subcategory of a subcategory on Pornhub. Negative water muffins. Yeah. Negative water muffin bukkake. Right. <laughs> like, you click on it because you don't know what it is, and you're like, I'm either going to love this or I'm going to be traumatized. <laughs>